This is episode 668 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, a long interview with John Haller. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community, or maybe even the Bible prophecy community, who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness and to your life. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, if you looked at the time of this episode or how long this episode was, you're going to see that it was over two hours, or it's over two hours. And so I'm going to try not to go too long here in the introduction and uh, also in the outro. Uh, You know, one of the things that I don't like about podcast episodes, and I listen to a lot of them, you know, I, I try to model this podcast in the, in the manner that I would like to see other podcasts, if that makes sense. So sometimes, you know, a podcast might have like a very long intro. They have a lot of little breaks and things in there. And I'm not saying that I'll never have some kind of intro. I'm not saying that I won't ever do any kind of, you know, little advertisements here and there and, and, and things like that. But I just want to minimize those types of things. Because when I listen to an episode I want to, or a podcast, I really want to, you know, dig into the the purpose of that podcast or that podcast episode. Now, I know that people need to make money and they need to pay for the shows and different things like that. I've been very blessed to, um, you know, things just happen right. You know, things happen for a reason. And so I've been able to kind of put a lot of that stuff off. Again, I'm not saying that I don't, uh, I'm not ever going to do that. But I don't like it when you you hear an episode or you hear half of it and then you have to hear the the other half like the next week. Because I consider breaking this one up because it was so long. But I just figured, you know what, let's give it, I'm going to just give it to everyone who wants to download it and listen to it. And they can listen to it in the sections that they want, right? You, you can listen to it 30 minutes at a time, an hour at a time. That's what I do when I listen to episodes. I definitely don't want to break it up. I want to give you the whole episode right here. Now, John is a lawyer by trade, right? John Haller is a lawyer by trade. And I have talked about him many, many times before in the past. When I refer to him, though, I'm referring to him because of his weekly prophecy updates on the Fellowship Bible Chapel's YouTube channel. And I've been linking to John's updates since 2015. I went back and looked, and and sure enough, since 2015. And so I've emailed John Uh, A couple of times I've chatted with him through Instant Messenger, but we've never really sat down and and talked, you know, face to face or uh, even, you know, through Zoom or or anything like that. But this interview really felt like a chat with someone that I've known for a long time. And you're going to experience that. You're going to see that it was just a very laid back uh, interview. We just, you know, we just kind of and that's why we went for two hours. It just felt, you know, we were just very laid back. And we just had fun just talking and and getting to know each other and uh, sharing the information. Now, after the interview, John mentioned that he goes, hey, you just let me talk, right? And so other interviews, other places where I've seen John interviewed, they go right into the heavy stuff. And uh, I I didn't do that, right? It was more of a like, hey, get to know you kind of introduction thing. And so those of you that are familiar with John, 
you might uh, find this very interesting, just kind of getting to know him a little bit about the person behind the, the prophecy updates and, and things like that. So he mentioned, man, you just let me talk. And that's really, that's the way I like to do interviews. I don't like to interrupt someone, you know, and try to get a point across and, and all of that. I, I prefer to let the person just talk. And really, that's if you're listening to this interview, you really want to listen to John talk more than me. I mean, there's plenty of times when you get just to get, get to hear me talk, right? So um, I just let him go with it. Now, this is an episode that is very heavy into faith. And so I know that some of you that are listening to the podcast are not believers. And so, and you know that in, in the past, I don't apologize for my faith. But John talks about current events and prophecy. And so one of the big benefits that I think for those that are not even believers is that you will get current events from a point of view or even current events that you're not hearing from anywhere else. Current events that and, and things that are going on that you're not going to hear from the mainstream media, things that you're not going to hear maybe even from the alternative media, but things that are important. And so that's why I always recommend, even if you're not a believer, to listen to some of these Bible prophecy teachers because you can learn a lot about what's going on in the world. So I probably went a lot longer than I wanted to in that introduction, so I'm going to go ahead and stop talking, and I'm going to go ahead and go right into this interview with John Haller of Fellowship Bible Chapel. Hey, John, welcome to the Prepper Website Podcast. Good to be with you, Todd. <laughs> John, we've been, uh, or I've been linking to your updates since I went back and looked since January 2015, and somebody, wow. one of the one of the uh, the readers of the website um, turned me on to you, and uh, started watching, and I started linking to them, and and I've just been watching ever since. And uh, I just want to first say before we even get started, um, thank you for what you do. Um, it's you know I, I kind of understand what you do as far as having a full time job and then doing this extra. I completely understand how much it, it takes and how much time it takes. So thanks for doing everything. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Well, I wanted to really, uh, starting out here on the, on this uh, episode, I know we're going to talk a little bit about current events and things that are going on, and there's a lot of things that are going on. Um, really? I hadn't <laughs> noticed. <laughs> well, and there's no way. I mean, I know, like in your updates, you always say you could go on forever. There's so much information that you can talk about. But right. I really wanted to lay a little bit of information down as we start just on Bible prophecy and uh, some reasons why and, and why it's important and all of that. I have a lot of believers that listen to the podcast, and um, but just like you, you know and you hear all the time, not everybody is talking about Bible prophecy, although um, we should. So before we even jump into that, let me ask you this first question. What started you down the path of wanting to know Bible prophecy and wanting to know more and, and digging in like you do? Well, part of it was the way I was raised. Uh, my dad was a pastor uh, in a small fellowship of churches called the Grace Brethren, Fellow Grace Brethren Fellowship. And, uh, you know, he had a church. <laughs> His first church, he made $50 a month in a little town called where I was actually born in that area, Ankney Town, Ohio. We called it Ain't No Town, Ohio. It was a church, a parsonage, and two farmhouses and a railroad track. And um, they didn't even have running water in the house where I was born. Uh, they had a hand pump. 
So a few weeks, six weeks after I was born, we moved to a little town called Middle Branch, Ohio, which is about halfway between Akron and Canton in Northeast Ohio. And my father had a great love of Bible prophecy. That, that love for Bible prophecy had been instilled in him by his pastor in the church that he grew up in, in Dayton, Ohio. And so he, uh, he and his best friend, they ended up, they, of course, did service in World War II. Uh, his best friend Lee went on to become pretty high up in the chaplain thing in the Navy. Uh, and they went to seminary. Uh, they went to Bob Jones University, which is where a lot of people who wanted to be preachers at that time went. And he just, Dr. Barnard, his, his boyhood pastor, had taught him, you know, someday, this is back in the 1920s and 30s, you know, Israel's going to be revived as a nation. This is what Bible prophecy says. And dad took that to heart. He went to Grace Seminary, which had a, a lot of teachers. Uh, in fact, one of the seminal books on uh, Bible prophecy and what I would call the uh, pre, pre-millennial community. It was a book by uh, the founder, one of the founders of Grace Seminary, Alva McLean, uh, called The Greatness of the Kingdom. It is, it is a rather uh, academic a uh, rather heavy book. Uh, I've often said that if somebody could just update that to like modern language, it would be a, a very important work. But if you talk to people at Dallas and some other places like that, which were pre-millennial seminaries, dispensational seminaries, they, you know, they'll, they'll cite McLean's book. So that, that's what my dad took class, Bible classes from. And all the professors there, one of his classmates was a guy named John Whitcomb. Uh, Dr. Wickham co-authored The Genesis Flood with Henry Morris around 1960. That book was very important in starting the uh, creation movement, the biblical young earth creation movement. Uh, And Dr. Wickham had not grown up with that. It was something that he got from his studies. Uh, He was a professor, then became a professor at Grace Seminary. And, And so dad would have these prophecy conferences at the church, he would invite people in. I don't even remember all their names. I know Dr. Whitkin came. And the fortunate thing that I got was, I, I've often said that the um, one of the most exciting parts of a prophecy conference, uh, especially if you're a speaker, which I've been privileged to be a few times, you know, a number of times, is the green room where the the guys get and they just, they just talk. Uh, I remember a prophecy conference at a Calvary Chapel over in uh, Lafayette, Indiana that I was at with uh, Bill Koenig. It's a friend of mine. Uh, Jack Hibbs was there. Um, some other Calvary Chapel guys. And, you know, Hibbs goes out to speak and he says, man, I'm telling you what guys back there in the green room with all these guys, that's the best prophecy conference going. So I've, when I've talked to people about doing prophecy conferences, one of the things I say is, you know, recreating that green room experience for everybody with just sort of an unscripted, what are you thinking about with no judgmental, you know, like, oh, you're, you're crazy for even looking at that type thing. And I, I just think that would be great. Well, what happened with me growing up was those speakers that would come to church dad would have them over to, to the house, to the, to the house for supper or after, you know, for dessert after they spoke. 
And they would talk about these things like a green room. So, I, I mean, here I am sitting here with Dr. Whitcomb and other people like that. And, I, and, and that was back in the days when kids weren't shuffled off to go, you know, play video games or something. So I'm like, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, and I'm sitting at the table listening to these, really what I would consider to be prophecy scholars at the kitchen table. So that, so I think for me, it was just sort of a natural carryover. But I will admit to you that, uh, look, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm a trial lawyer. I've had times in my career where I've been incredibly busy, uh, traveling quite a bit, sometimes spending as much as 225 nights a year on the road, uh, gone from home quite a bit. And, and I will admit that um, I got a bit more abundant in my walk with the Lord, you know, maybe a little bit too comfortable. What changed me reoriented was for our 20th anniversary in 1995, we went to Israel. And that experience, Todd, if, if you've never been to Israel and you love the scriptures, I would – you have to go if you can possibly do so. It will bring the Bible alive to you. It will help you understand the Bible geography and structure and the land. Uh, we also went over to Jordan, to Petra on that trip. But I do remember one day on that trip, uh, not to go into too much detail, but I, we were up in the Galilee region. We started, the, you know, we went to the Mount of Beatitudes. Then we went up to... Caesarea Philippi, and then up into the Golan Heights. And end of the day, before we took our the Jesus boat ride from Capernaum across to uh, our hotel in Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee, uh, we stopped at Capernaum. And I remember going off by myself and sitting there on a like an old stone pillar, half of a stone pillar, and it just, I, I mean, I wept. Because it really sort of brought into the reality of it all hit me. Like, this is where Jesus did this. There's Peter's house over there. The, well, what's left of it. Uh, and it was, it was a very emotional experience. And then uh, the pastor that we had at the time here in Columbus, uh, the church we were attending, he also loved Bible prophecy. He'd gone to the same seminary as my father. He taught on it all the time. And he did a talk on uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 and the second coming while we were standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking the old city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And it's sort of like, you know, coming back here, you're going to walk over there, you know, and it's like, and then one of the guys on the trip, he uh, said, you know, I can see that you're kind of interested in this stuff. Uh, I, I got the tape of this, this businessman who teaches the Bible and does a lot of prophecy. So he gave me a tape of Chuck Missler. And uh, I think Chuck, you know, although there were some things that Chuck's kind of swerved off into in his later days, but Chuck was sort of a, a mentor to a lot of us that kind of came up through. Uh, I did. I got a chance to interview him on the, I had a little radio show for a while. 
and then I interviewed him there. I met him and then invited him to a conference, and he became a friend, um, and a real friend. I mean, you know, it was – he didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? It, it was just – and so there was just a sort of a whole convergence of things like that, that uh, the Lord brought a lot of people into my life. Uh, so I started doing a prophecy update. I was teaching a, a class at a large church here in Columbus. Uh, and I would do a little prophecy news update and a Bible teaching. And whether I'm doing the right thing or not, over time, it, it, you know, it used to be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Now, as you mentioned earlier, I can do an hour and a half without even looking at my notes <laughs> uh, and talking about what's going on because we, we do live at a very significant time. And it's, it's very troubling to me that the, the subject of Bible prophecy is, I think, largely ignored in a great, a great portion of the church even what I would consider to be the biblical-based, evangelical, conservative, trying to do things correct doctrinally and theologically, the subject is ignored. Now, I've been criticized for focusing on it too much, so I guess it's a question of balance. Uh, it's just sort of worked out that way in my life. So I, I had a class of anywhere from 10 to 150 people, depending on the year. And I would teach on that. I would teach through the Old Testament, you know, like Daniel and Ezekiel, Zechariah, that type of thing. So it just is sort of evolved into, it's sort of taken on a life of its own a little bit. We uh, left that church for reasons I won't go into right now. I've talked about it in the past uh, and started a Bible study, then a church back in 2013. And, just before we left the church, I started putting things up on YouTube because everybody would say, I missed what you said last week. What did you say? And I was driving myself crazy. I was trying, burning DVDs of PowerPoints and, um, you know, trying to figure out ways to get things to people because the internet was still really, you know, back in 1997, 2000, the internet was not real robust back in those days. I know that's hard to believe when we sit here in 2020 when the internet is everything. It's how you work, uh, especially in this day and age. So I started putting stuff up on YouTube. Then a few months later, we left the church, started a Bible study, and then the church a couple months later. And then it just kind of sort of evolved from there. Um, and now it's, I think one thing I, I get criticized every now and then. I can't believe a church like this would talk about the things that you talk about and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not just, that's not all that we do at the church. It may be the only thing that you see that we do at the church, but we put up our Bible teachings and we have Bible studies and prayer meetings and that type of thing. Maybe we're a full orbed church, uh, but the Bible prophecy thing, you know, whether I like it or not is, you know, it, it gets more views and listens than uh, the other stuff that we do. But, you know, I preached, I'll be preaching this Sunday. I preached a couple of weeks ago on, we're going through the book of James right now, where you pray for Fellowship Bible Chapel. We're um, sort of still reeling from the, uh, the shock, the loss of our pastor, Steve Mitchell. 
who passed away on September 25th from um, COVID-19. Uh, 49 years old. It's uh, it's been it's been a rough six weeks. It seems like it, in a way, it seems like it happened yesterday. It seems like it's not real, and it seems like it happened three years ago. So we're trying to, you know, we have a few elders. Uh, we have three elders. Uh, we're trying to put together a teaching schedule. We have we've been blessed with very very good teachers, both at the elders level and lay people in the church. So we're trying to, to hold that together, but it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. So you could pray for fellowship Bible chapel. That would be greatly appreciated. We definitely will. I know uh, when Steve was, um, when I was seeing the updates uh, on your uh, Facebook timeline and and uh, fellowship Bible chapels timeline, um, share that with the church. And then also when he did pass, we did pray. So uh, definitely we will do that and keep uh, Fellowship Bible Chapel and, and everybody there in our prayers that God will bring the, the, the right pastor um, at the right time. I mean, yeah, we, I prayed last Sunday, prepare the heart of the guy <laughs> now, you know. And uh, when we just – Steve and I shared a concern about the direction of the evangelical church. He was pastor at a little church down in Roanoke, Virginia. He had 35 people. I uh, put up a YouTube video. I somebody directed me to it. I gave you know. I wrote, preach it. Uh, we became close friends. We would talk while he was still down in Roanoke, one to four hours a week. Uh, talked a lot more when he before he was pastor at Fellowship Bible Chapel than we did after he became pastor here. Uh, but he was just a tremendous guy, had a lot of um, – he was a very unique guy. That's that's all I can say. I mean, he, he really was a pastor. I You know, I'm a pastor's kid, so I know what a pa- – you know, being a pastor can do to a guy. Um, it, can, it can be rough. It can be very rough. And uh, he handled it very well but uh, he's, he's greatly missed. It definitely takes a special person. You have to be called. Definitely. You right. know, if, if not, forget it. <laughs> You'll be like, what, what am I doing here? I'll go work at McDonald's instead. Yeah. And I, I'm sure my dad, and my dad was very, very disappointed that I didn't go into the pastorate, that I became a lawyer. Although I think he was proud of the fact that I was a lawyer, but he was also at least initially very disappointed about that. And I just, you know, I, I just never felt the call. Um, I, I don't know, John. I think he would be very proud of what you're doing and how you're getting the message out there right now. Well, I think, I think he might be, but I would also think that if he looked at the number of views on YouTube that we get sometimes, he would say, there, that many people are listening to my kid? <laughs> are you kidding me? Just sort of a... I took my wife home. I met her when just before I turned 20. Took her out about a month after I turned 20 and proposed about two months after I turned 20. And we got married at 20. I got married at 21. And I took her home to meet my parents that summer. And mom took her aside and was talking to her, you know, and they sort of, you know, shoved me out of the room. Mom shoved me out of the room. So when we drove back to Indiana, 
to where our college was, I, I said, what, what did you mom talk about? She said, well, she said, you know, Pam, you seem like a very nice, lovely, young Christian woman. I think you're fantastic. You have a great reputation. Are you really sure you want to marry John? Because <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to amount to much. And I'm like, my own mother? <laughs> you have to know my mother. She just, uh, she did admit years later before she passed away. Well, I guess Pam saw some things in you that I didn't really see. <laughs> so, but I will say part of it was getting married really makes you grow up like immediately. So I was pretty young when I was, you know, fairly young when I was married and uh, went to school the first five years we were married. Pam used to introduce me as this is my husband who is uh, in school full-time, and I'm looking forward to him graduating and supporting me in a manner to which I've not yet become accustomed. So, <laughs> so she's been pretty rough on me too, you know, so I'm just kidding. Just but, keep, uh, keeping you straight. Yeah. What it was that I said, I think I quoted Dennis Prager last Sunday, he said, in the beginning, <laughs> God created man and critic. And, yep. uh, <laughs> And, you know, I think, you know, my wife would say, well, yeah, because that's what you need, <laughs> you know, so. It's great. But, a, lot of, a lot of good stuff here. We had some, the same kind of trajectory. I got married at 19, um, not because we had to, though, and, and that's the thing. Right. We were so happy, like, after the, the six months or whatever, you know, in church, because, you know, all the church people were just waiting for, you know, her to start showing and get a belly or whatever, but. yeah. <laughs> But I do, I do agree with you. I, I think a lot of the times where when we've talked to other people who are having issues with their marriage and stuff like that, we, we grew up together, you know, we were mm -hmm. 19, 20 and, and we grew up together. And so uh, I think that's, that's was a, a special bond that we had um, growing up. So. Yeah. That, you know, it, it, it is something I, I like, I've liked being married. I mean, I, I really like being married. Um, and, and I'll also say this, I, I grew up in a preacher's home. My dad was faithful to the word of God his entire life. He never wavered. He was very concerned about the direction. I have a message that he did 50 years ago in Long Beach, California at, our, at the Brethren National Conference. And he talked about there's an attack, on, there's a war on the truth. August of, 20, of 1970. I was 16. So that's what I grew up with. And I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is God really was gracious to me. He protected me from a lot of stuff, you know? And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I don't feel like I've missed out. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you. Definitely agree with you. We could, we could, we could do the we marriage podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we could do that. Sounds good. And our wives could follow up with the true version. <laughs> that's yeah. that's right. That's what right. We really see. They could do that. Hey, let me you were you mentioned a lot of great stuff. You talked about Israel, you talked about Bill Koenig. Um and maybe we can we can I, I do have a question on that I want to uh, sure. talk to you about a little bit later on, but um why why is Bible prophecy important to know? I mean, why in the world should we spend, like you said, people, people will tell you you spend too much time doing this. 
Why is it important to know? What, what's the big deal there? Well, one thing that Bible prophecy is, is it's a very strong confirmation of God's omniscience, foreknowledge, and that sort of thing. You know, he knows the end from the beginning. And he gave his, through his prophets, he gave people instruction about things that were going to happen in the future. And when they have happened in the past, it's, it's a confirmation of the truth of the word of God. But it's also, a, it's also a blessing to kind of warn people what's coming. You know, there's a lot of, um, well, I know where you are, there's a very well-known um, pastor, teacher of a church, big, big church there. And I've been very critical of him because his message is like, everything's going to be okay, everything is great. Well, guess what? How's that playing out in 2020 in the world? You know, this this ridiculous prosperity gospel, God doesn't want you to suffer because you're a king kid. Look, king's kid, look, we've had a great run of it here in America. We haven't really been subject to persecution, but I think we're on the cusp of that changing, it, which only means that we're going to be like the vast, vast, vast majority of the rest of the church has been for the last 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And I think right now it's it's a... Look, one, one of the things I've learned, I, I have a friend named Jacob Prash who has, has helped me understand some of the things in the Scripture in that the Scriptures are Jewish. Uh, they were written by Jewish people for a Jewish audience, and, but the Lord has sort of, as a church, were grafted in through faith in Jesus. And so we, we sort of, to some extent, partake of the blessings of what God visited upon the the nation of Israel. And, but one of the things you learn is that Jewish eschatology sets up a pattern so that, uh, and and if you read some of the old Jewish sages, you got to be careful because they got off, as we know, from the time of Jesus, they were way off at some of the things that they believed and taught. So, the, but, but what Jewish eschatology does is it establishes a pattern. Like, there's sort of like a big picture pattern, sort of a general overview. And then it also delves down into what I would call a deeper teaching in meaning. So let me use an example that I use quite a bit. In Daniel chapter, well, Daniel 11 and 12, in Daniel 12, it says, Daniel, Seal up the book until the time of the end. People will run to and to and fro, and knowledge will increase. Now, the surface meaning of that is there's going to be a time in the world when knowledge is going to literally explode. And I can tell you from a you know an attorney who has to dig through documents and now emails and messages and all this. The, the pile of material that, that people produce, there's, there's a tremendous increase in information and knowledge. Now, there has been a tremendous increase in wisdom. That's pretty apparent. Wisdom is kind of lagging behind. But so the surface meaning of that is there's going to be a lot of knowledge and information. 
But I also think the deeper meaning is that the people are going to and fro. They're going to and fro back through the book, looking at the prophetic scriptures, which Daniel was told to seal up until the time of the end. But it also says there in 11, the end of Daniel 11 and Daniel like 12, 8, and 9, that there will be people. Uh, I refer to them as the masculine. They'll be the wise who will understand and instruct the many. So my personal desire is to be one of those as much as I possibly can. Because as we get closer, I use the example a lot of the eye chart. I'm nearsighted. So I go to the eye doctor. In fact, I have an appointment next week. He'll maybe take off your glasses and cover up your right eye. My left eye is horribly nearsighted. And tell me what you see. And I say, well, I know there's an E on the top just because I memorized that one. And, but even without my glasses, if I got closer to that eye chart, I could see everything crystal clear. That's the way prophecy is going to be, is that it might be a little bit fuzzy, but as we get closer to the end, the wise will understand and instruct the many. And the evil won't. They won't understand. Now, listen, <laughs> I don't know that there's much, a better verse to describe what's going on in our world today, where there are people that seem to understand what's going on, but there are also people that are supremely ignorant. You know, Romans 1 talks about God will give them over to a reprobate mind. They won't even be able to reason. And I think we see that quite a bit uh, in the world today. Everybody's running with their emotions. The rise of postmodernism through the 90s, especially. Uh, I started talking, I think the first time I talked on it was in 2000 at a conference. Maybe 2001. Uh, so about 20 years ago, I've been talking, started talking about it because I said it's going to destroy the church. I had a pastor tell me after that talk, he said, oh, you don't understand. Postmodernism will be great for the church. Well, 20 years later, I stand by what I said. I think I don't think he understands. Uh, and everything's run by feelings in the world today. Everybody has a grievance. And boy, that, that's pretty apparent over the last week in the U.S. Um, I, I don't think at some point that it will change. So, so back to your question, prophecy confirms the power of God, the omniscience of God. It also serves as a warning for us. It also gives us instruction. And I think we need to uh, be cognizant of that. Now, I will also say that I don't think that the scriptures are entirely clear right now as to what they mean. In fact, I think there are scriptures that we don't even look at that in the future we're going to say, I never saw that before. I hear people say this all the time. I never really saw that before. And I really think it's because a lot of the scripture, we look at it and say, oh, well, that happened back when the Jews were in Israel and the divided kingdom and all this. But we don't understand the pattern of the prophetic scriptures, that things are, uh, they repeat, they're recapitulated. And the understanding of what was really said back by 
Jeremiah or Zechariah will become even more apparent is the closer we get to the Lord's return. And so you look at, I mean, look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. This would apply, I think, to your the person down there in Houston that we haven't named, but everybody I'm sure knows who we're talking about. <laughs> you know, the, it's the false woe to the pastors is what the passage says, who, who, who prophesy falsely and tell you that everything's going to be okay. Uh, there's an Old Testament story, Micaiah. Micaiah was a prophet. Uh, you can read about it in Kings, Ahab. I've actually been and see, saw where Ahab was buried, the city that he and his father Omri founded, Samaria. But Micaiah was, you know, the, the, king, of, the king of Judah. said, well, do you have any other prophets, Ahab? You because know, these guys are telling me, go into battle. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to win. You're going to have a great victory. Be, be you know, rise in your own greatness, O king. You know, do you have any other prophets? Because yeah, I got this one guy over here, and there were four hundred that were giving him good news. Yeah, you know, I got this other guy over here, Micaiah, but I think he hates me because he always gives me bad news. So I think the pattern that you might learn from that is that uh, there are a lot of prophets out there today. Um, because I, you know, I'm a little bit known in some circles, I get sent dreams after dream after dream after dream where you got to listen to this guy's dream and that guy's dream. And I, I have to tell you, uh, I don't deny that God can give us some insight that way, but, you know, Micaiah, I, I, look, there were 400 false prophets and one true prophet at the time of Ahab. That's a pretty good idea of the ratio that you're going to get. That I think it's always at least 400 false to one true. And I'm not saying that God can't work in that way, but I'm, I'm sort of skeptical because I've seen a lot. I've seen that, what you know, people call their prophetic gift abused pretty severely. So... I don't know if that answers your question, but well, and and I think the internet has just given a, a a platform for all those that would would say that, right? And so you can go to websites, and you can go to Facebook groups, and you can see um, all the different you know things and ideas that people have out there. Um, so I I agree with you that, that yeah, whole, yeah, I, yeah. I will also say that it's pretty apparent from the prophecy groups on Facebook that, you know, there are arguments over the timing of the rapture and this and that and all this, that nobody agrees with anybody else. That, that's a pretty safe statement. And I think that, and I don't mind that people argue about it and that type of thing. I don't think we should be nasty about it. I think we should call people out, particularly when I think they're sort of abusing the text, uh, twisting the text around to make it say something that, uh, it really doesn't. I, I have a problem with that. Uh, and so I try to be careful. But look, I, I'll, I'll quote my friend Chuck Missler who said, don't take my word for it. Be a Berean. Go check it out. They had the apostles and they checked it out mm -hmm. against Scripture. So I think that that's, that's a, good, a good piece of advice. Definitely. And hey, listen, when I was a kid, 
Um, they would always say, you know, be careful about trying to apply current events to Bible prophecy. And I understand that to, to a point, but then I remember thinking, and, you know, early on, I, I was interested in Bible prophecy, and then life happened, kind of like yeah. you, like what you were talking yeah. about. And then late, this, later on in life, it, it's been real important to me. But I always thought, you know, at some point, the current event is going to be fulfilling Bible prophecy, right? So well, listen, you, when, they, when they questioned Jesus, okay, they were, they were asking him questions about the news that was happening in Judah and Judea and Galilee at the time of Jesus. Uh, what about the tower that fell? You know, I mean, I'm sure that was, hey, a tower fell. I mean, it's on our news of apartment building collapses in Izmir, Turkey, which happened last week. And or in Lebanon, you know, the, the port blows up. Uh, people ask about that. What's the meaning of this? And, you know, the questions about Herod and his relationship with his brother's wife. It's, there weren't newspapers, but there was... Certainly the news at that type of thing. So I, I agree with you that, yeah, we, we are subject to the criticism of newspaper exegesis, okay? But the fact of the matter is, is exactly what you just said. Script, the prophetic scriptures will unfold in a real world in front of, if, if we're at that time. And I think there's much to indicate that we are. And it's going to happen in a real world. You're going to see alignment of nations, which you're seeing right now. Um, and, we're not all, and we're not all going to get it right away. So look, I personally think that Abraham Accords are incredibly significant from a Bible prophecy standpoint. And it, you would have to work pretty hard to persuade me not. Now, I have other friends who think, oh, this is great. It's peace. It's all this other stuff. And we all want peace, right? But there are – the, the thing that I don't think we do sometimes, and I'm, I'm, when I say this stuff, I'm always sort of looking at myself in the mirror. We, we don't really think through the implications of some of the timelines and stuff that we've worked out. So I've kind of got to try to go back and – regularly kind of blow up my presuppositions and sort of look at things afresh. Um, and look, I, I want to be right. Okay. And, and there are other views that people have, and I I'd prefer that their ideas would work out because it would be better for me. But I think we're entering on a time of human history that uh, is unique. Look, Todd, who called 2020? <laughs> uh, let's be honest. Did anyone really call 2020 any significant number? There are some people who were saying, I think this could be a prophetically significant year. And there were indicators, sometimes from the secular world, uh, like these economist covers for crying out loud. Um, Somebody pointed one out to me. I, I talked about the, the World in 2019 cover from The Economist. There's a picture of the four horsemen. And the third horseman has a face mask on. <laughs> wow. That was, that was published in late 2018. 
I, I'm not saying it's prophecy, you understand? Right. What I'm just saying is that sometimes there's this uh, convergence, the term I use a lot, between the world and what the scriptures say and, and what even secular people are thinking is happening. Look, I, I don't think you'd have a hard time convincing secular people that the world's a bit chaotic right now. And our governor just came out today and essentially said, no Thanksgiving, uh, you know, stay home, wear a mask. If you're eating, essentially what the, that uh, crazy Gavin Newsom has been doing in California. Now our Republican governor seems to be doing in Ohio. And I'm all for being safe, you know. I've had a, my best friend, one of my best friends died from this thing. But the world, it's crazy out there. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And so the, the, the add-on deaths from the lockdown may far exceed the deaths from the COVID virus. People are depressed. Suicides are up. You know, marriages are not doing well when people are together a, a lot that don't really like each other. It, it just, everywhere I look, I see sort of a chaotic world. Well, you know, I've, I've been having some conversations just with people and in some are church going people, but you start talking about all the things that are going on and those that are church going start saying, you know, Hey, I wonder if it is the end times, the last days. And, and they, yeah, I can tell you they don't they don't go to ch a church that talks about Bible prophecy on a regular basis. But just like you said, they're looking around at all the things that are going on, and they're like, you know, what? maybe maybe something is going on here. You know, people yeah. uh, people are waking up a little bit. It was probably about ten years ago. One of my uh, female partners at the time she uh, she got pretty upset with me uh, when I voiced in a, a firm meeting that I was uh, not in favor of gay marriage, same-sex marriage. And she marched, she walked out of the room and she came in her office later and she goes, I think it's hateful. I don't like what you said. I think uh, you're wrong. I'm a Christian too. But then it was interesting. Uh, uh, it was probably about six months later, things were happening. This is at least 10 years ago. She came in my office and she goes, she sat down and she looked at me and she goes, is this the end of the world? And I said, well, are you sure you really want to be asking me that question? <laughs> and um, so we talked about it. Um, and people, I think people are hungry for it. I remember a, a guy who goes to a church where they don't talk about Bible prophecy. We were on the uh, plane coming back from Boston. He had the window seat. I had the aisle seat on a commuter jet. And when I got the aisle seat and you're in the window seat, you're a captive audience. <laughs> and I was working on, I think, Ezekiel 38, 39 presentation for the following Sunday. Uh, this is, you know, back in 2000, 2001, almost 20 years ago. And he goes... What is that all about? Well, he got a two-hour seminar on Ezekiel 38. And he goes, wow, I just nobody's ever talked about that before. But he goes, it makes a lot of sense, and I can see how that could happen in today's world. Well, that 
advance that clock 20 years. And you see the rise of Turkey and some of these other things and Iran, really a Turkish Iranian alliance that's, that's risen up. Don't, don't buy into this, you know, Turkey, Sunni, Iran, Shia, they really don't get along. Um, they've got some areas of conflict, but by and large, they're united. They're in an alliance. And that's very significant prophetically. Well, okay. So before I'm gonna, I'll stop you. Before we get to the Middle East, let's let's talk a little bit okay. about the United States. Do, do you feel the things that are going on right now play into Bible prophecy? I mean, there's there's a lot of ways that we can go here. Yeah, um, I, yeah. You know, I think as a general rule, just from a big overview, I think that yeah, they are significant. The first, we see a rise of lawlessness. We see a rise of very contentious society where everybody's just kind of like you know like rats in a cage man at each other and then you layer on top of that you know this covid thing and the economy and the uh just economic destruction that's taken place and and so what it does is it creates all these conditions that could allow someone to rise to power to you know to said look i've got the answer now who that is exactly where he comes from you know I, some of my friends think that america is the babylon of a, of jeremiah 49 50 50 51 and i have to be honest with you there i can't totally just I, I sort of put my prophetic views into sort of um uh, almost like a decision trees that you might do when you're diagnosing a patient like this is probable but this could be probable if this and this could be pro and so i i don't really i mean there's some just crazy ideas that i dismiss out of hand <coughs> but by and large i think that um everything's on the table and the best evidence of who's right will be when it actually happens um so i i, I sort of have like baskets of probabilities so i can't dismiss the fact that america may be babylon or this babylonian system certainly we are the world's economic superpower but we see the rise of china uh but in the united states i just think we're, we're in a very chaotic situation right now especially with this election um and people don't seem to care about what the rules are and what the law says. And everybody's, I mean, I'm a lawyer, okay? And I know people try to bend their way around the rules all the time, sometimes with the help of their lawyer. But I, I just have to tell you, I've, what I hear so often from good going, good church going people who believe in Bible prophecy is, I never thought I would see it like this. And I'm like, I don't think you've seen anything yet. And people go, well, that, that's not a very comforting message. But maybe it should be comforting because who's in control ultimately? And this is working out the way God wants it to work out. So I think the thing we need to do is that our role in the end times and how it works out is we ought to, our prayer ought to be that, look, whatever happens to me, whether it's 
to die a martyr's death or to be persecuted, may God be glorified through what we do. I mean, I think, think of those guys on the beach in Libya in the orange jumpsuits before they were beheaded. They were uh, Coptic Christians. And I remember I, met, so I mentioned, boy, what a testimony this. Well, they're Coptic Christians, their theology here, here, and here. And wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, okay? The last thing on their lips was Jesus. So I don't know that their whole Coptic theological system, what, what mattered what was happening then, and they stood faithful to the end. And I think God was glorified in their, their martyrs, the death of the, them as a martyr. So, so back to the United States. Um, well, yeah, let me, let me I, there's a lot this. of pressures. Bill Koenig, he, he wrote the book on uh, the, the Israel and uh, the United States when we, were, when we tried to do the land. Uh, yeah, I, he wrote a book with John McTurnan, Israel, Blessing or the Curse, and then he went off and wrote another, his own book called Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing okay. Israel. And okay. he has done a, a masterful job. And let me just say this. I, I think, by and large, Bill is correct. Bill is, is really one of my best friends. Uh, we've talked a lot. Uh, I think we're exactly four weeks apart in age. And so we've, we've just really connected. And he's been here. I've been at his place. And I, I do think that it's interesting. I will say this. In 2011, I was in Israel. Our flight got delayed on the way back. And some guy, I mentioned something about Bob. Um, he's a humor columnist, um, not Bob Green. He's a he's kind of a satirical guy, you know, just kind of makes fun of life. And this Jewish guy, you know, I mean, he's got the little kippah on and Orthodox Jew, and he's standing there with his laptop. And he goes, "Oh, I love that guy. Let me show my sister sent me an article about his colonoscopy, and he hands me his laptop and says, "Here, read this article." And so we started, so then we had this incredible four-hour conversation as we waited for our plane to New York to get repaired and released. And he said, listen, in 2005, you, you forced us, your George Bush forced us to give up, to evacuate Gaza. And it was very shortly thereafter. So you, gave, you forced us to give up this percentage of our country. And shortly thereafter, you had this horrible thing called Katrina, which affected about the exact same percentage of the country as we were forced to give up. He said, and you need to tell the other evangelicals that when you do this to Israel, there are consequences. I'm like, so here's an Orthodox Jewish guy telling me, you need to be careful what you do with Israel. So. I think that's kind of a confirmation that, uh, um, you know, Bill, Bill is largely on track with what he says. It, it seems to happen quite a bit. And everybody says, well, why would God punish Florida for what somebody in Washington did? Listen, someday you can ask him why he did that. But I'm just telling you is there is such a correlation between forcing Israel to divide the land or give up the land, and then bad consequences happening 
sometimes to the people involved, George Bush in Madrid in 1991 in his house, forcing Israel, you got to give up land. And what happens? His house is effectively almost destroyed at Kennebunkport by one of the strangest moving storms in the history of the Atlantic. The perfect storm mm -hmm. that led to that movie. A uh, hundred foot waves, a cold water hurricane that moved the opposite direction that it should. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. <laughs> uh, so I, I do think that we have to be very careful. And so my own personal concern has been that the, like for the Trump plan and the Abraham Accords do have at their heart a division of Israel. Whether it's accepted by the Palestinians or not, they're proposing a division of Israel. That's the point. And God had some things to say in the Torah about don't do that. And so I don't think American presidents get to override the Torah. Okay, and I, I think that that is very significant. So I've been very concerned about that. And, you know, people say, oh, you just hate Trump. You want to get it. I'm like, no, I'm a truth guy. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about it. And I also think it is very significant prophetically, particularly these Abraham Accords. And we're going to see this play out over the next. Get, let me just sort of jump through because I haven't talked about this one yet on my update, but uh, it's on my list of things I never get to. I think. So, what happens if Trump doesn't get reelected? Does that mean the Abraham Accords are dead? My personal opinion, they've started down the normalization process, the peace process with these Arab states. The Arab states are concerned about Iran. So if American support is out of the picture, because a Biden will come in and try to appease Iran, he's already said that he's going to do this. I think it makes further normalization of things like the Abraham Accords more likely if Trump's not there. Because the Arabs are pragmatists and they're saying, we need help to stave off Iran and Turkey which a lot of people don't talk about. So they're concerned about both of those guys. And so they're, if the United States support is out of the picture, they're probably going to be more likely to do further normalization and peace deals. That's just my, that's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, the work, the work's already there, right? And they're right. Already, it's out, out in public where in the past they would have never done something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a template that Kushner, has come up with and it it seems to be working in some respects so i would expect if trump is gone i think the saudis will be on board pretty quickly do you think that i was having this conversation with my brother do you think that maybe because of the uh the push for the plan that maybe god is has taken his hand off of america finally said hey i'm i'm done you know i'm done with uh with y'all keep trying to do this? Well, when this thing came down and back in January, February, the, I think the Trump plan came out around January 26th or 27th. I, I guess I would just ask the question, what was the world like the day before the Trump plan was released? 
and what's it like now? No. <laughs> it's been chaos ever since, okay? <laughs> it's really deteriorated. And I think uh, Bill did some things on his page. I think you could dig back through his archives and find it. And he did. I mean, I sent him a few things that I saw happening in a timeline, but he really expanded on it because that's his thing. That's that's what he's really focused on. And I, I just, I'm not, I would not dismiss this. Yeah. I think that, I think that is not a good thing to do. I, I think so too. And what are some other things that we, uh, that are going on right now that are, <coughs> that you, that you see happening, uh, major issues that are causing you to uh, take notice in the world? Well, I think that um, sort of a general deterioration in the culture uh, you know, in 2015, it was just five years ago that they came down with the same-sex decision of Burgerfell and the U.S. Supreme Court. And now we can't determine whether someone's male or female, or we can't say that, or we have all these adjectives that we're supposed to use to just personal pronouns, Z, Zay, them, whatever. We can't even tell what's male and female. I mean, and you see like organizations tweeting things like uh, about men who menstruate. It's, it's insanity. Um, although one mem I saw that I liked was if there are 60 genders, why are the only two options in a sex change operation? <laughs> And, uh, you know, and you see these things like there's somebody will say, well, I'm, you know, we're not, we have a child and we'll announce his, we'll let him announce, we'll, we'll let the child announce their sex when they get to be 18. That's, it's child abuse. It's just, it's insanity. So you have this underlying culture thing, which is just crumbling. Uh, and now you have these people, the, uh, it's particularly the left. They always accuse you of being what they are. You know, they, they project very well up the road here, Toledo, mommy high school. Um, a teacher said, look, there are different ideas out there. I want to expose you to different ideas. So she played a Prager university video, which I'm sure you've seen some of these. They're, they're phenomenally well done. And the problem is they're not just well done, they're effective in changing people's ideas. And one lady pulled her kid out of class and the, the school pulled the Prager University video and the Toledo Blade and the, the main paper, I, well, I, have to, I don't know, if I, maybe a client of my law firm. In fact, I know it is. They come out with this, this ridiculous editorial saying, well, you know, we need to be open to different ideas, except Prager University. we got to keep them out of the public space because they never say why. It's because, as Dennis Prager says, well, they're too effective. So I, there's all this just jumbled mess in society and culture. People can't think anymore. They can't reason. Um, you know, I suppose one way you could paraphrase First Corinthians chapter 1 is, uh, God, God chooses the uh, why the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and 
I know it's probably not a great way to interpret it, but you can say God morons the world is sort of a judgment. And does that seem like it's happening, Todd? Of course it does. So now, and then we have the economic thing. What's going to happen with this economy? We have these people at Davos and the elites, financial elites of the world, talking about the Great Reset. There's also a convergence of, and you know, you're you're big in prepping and that type of thing. There's a whole host of things that are not going right with the world food supply. Let alone, you know, so you know, I I tell people you got to prepare for some rough times and people act like, well, if you do that, you don't have faith. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, God gave you a mind to act reasonably. <laughs> and I, this is my response to if I'm really want to be snarky. Hey, listen, we know Jesus could walk on water, but way above 90% of the time he took a boat, <laughs> you know, cause so, so we need we need to you need to think through these things. You have a responsibility to your family. I don't know that you need to go crazy, but uh, you know, back in Y two K, I was working with some agencies and stuff like that that were they were really concerned about what was going to happen. Now, whether it panned out or not, and whether it was overblown. So, look, we we saved up a few months worth of groceries. And then two years later, my law firm, our major client, got caught in a financial collapse, and my firm went out of business, and I didn't have a job. I'm 48 years old, no job, no clients. But we were okay because we had stuff saved up. And <laughs> you'd never know when you, whether, whether it's uh, prepping for global societal collapse it's it's a wise thing to do anyway there's plenty of scriptures that tell you to do it and like labor day we're in our new house a couple months six weeks and a tornado goes across a field a mile north of us and a funnel cloud i it was either wind shear or funnel cloud came through our front yard and took out the tree took out one of the trees and i'm like you know, I'm glad I have some things stored up because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and look, a lot of people have been unemployed for months now with the economic thing. It's, I, I don't know. I just think that it's a wise thing to do. And I just think that the trajectory of the end times is to expect more of this stuff coming in the, in the near future. Yeah. Particularly if we were there, so when I when I sort of stack up all the different little threads of Bible prophecy, societal breakdown, chaos, lawlessness, and then the geopolitical situation, I'm sort of like you know you you really need to 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 wake up and pay attention to what's going on. Definitely, and you know we always tell people. If, if you go get the basics, you know, food, hygiene items, that kind of stuff, even if you don't need it, you know, worst case scenario, you, you don't have to go to the grocery store. You know, you, you have, right. you know, saved up. And I've heard so many people throughout the years have the same kind of story, like you said, 
Um, you know, we had our we had our supply. We lost our job. We were able to eat off of that. Our kids didn't even experience anything different because we we were able to. Uh, you know, still feed everybody and all of that good stuff uh, continued to happen. You know, one of the things with uh, with Christians, when you start talking about preparedness, and really preparedness is just common sense. I mean, it's been this label that, that's, right. uh, that's been, it's been given. But um, a lot of, a lot of people talk about you, you start talking about preparedness as a Christian, they, they automatically go to the last days, right? They automatically go to the end of the world, the apocalypse, you know, fire and brimstone and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You just, you know, you can be prepared for, like you said, like a loss, uh, you, you lose your job or Hurricane Harvey down here in Houston or Katrina or, you know, uh, a blizzard that comes in, whatever it might be. And it just makes sense. And so uh, hopefully more people understand that, especially now. Uh, I think most people have uh, and, and I'm saying this because I think there's going to be people that listen to the podcast and, and probably watch the video just because your name is going to be tagged onto it. So I'm saying this. Uh, yeah, and listen, I, I want you to know, I'm not saying this because you have a prepper T-shirt on or anything <laughs> like that, okay? I mean, this is sort of how, yeah. <laughs> listen, I, I think you need to use common sense. Yeah. You don't need to go crazy. But listen, Todd. If this election is overturned, and at this point, Trump has a second term, I am telling you, America is going to burn. Mm -hmm. And you need to be prepared for that. So I tell, I've been saying, like, when I go out, I gas up my car. Takes like another 30 seconds out of my time. Because I don't know if I'm going to have to bug out. Okay. Now I live, you know, out in the country, but, um, I also live in proximity to a large city. You live to large, even much bigger city. Um, I'm coming up to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going down to that swamp that you live in the, uh, no, that's, uh, the, uh, it's a great city, but as we talked before, uh, we started this, but, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just telling you, is, is Portland going to be repeated in 20, 30 cities across the United States? Why would it not be? Look at what these people are saying right now. Um, well, I mean, it's like on one hand, they're talking about unity and healing. On the other hand, you're, you're not seeing that at all, right? Or you're not hearing that at all. I went, I went into a store this afternoon. The guy in front of me had this black T-shirt on. It was a guy. Well, I'm pretty sure it was a guy. Looked like a guy. Never could be too sure these days. But um, it had like a sequined rose and then silver letters, silver sequins. It said, more unity. And I was sort of like, I wanted to ask him, like, what do you mean more unity? So you already have unity. You just want more of it or better or, but I didn't, I didn't really want to cause a scene, <laughs> but um, I, I just feel like, you know, we're sort of hanging by a thread. Melanie Phillips had a great article last week at her website, MelaniePhillips.com. She, she's not a Christian. She's Jewish, but she's a good thinker. 
highly recommend that people listen to her or read her stuff. And she's like, you know, the truth hangs by a gossamer thread. And there's a bunch of people trying to get rid of the thread. It's the only thing that's kind of holding society together. And I think she's right. You know, we're very fragile. Could go either way. And I think regardless of what happens, I think it's going to go either way with the, uh, the Jacobin types that are present on the left today. Yeah. And look, people are going to react. If they start doing stuff, people on the right aren't going to react very nicely to it either. So I I think we're starting to see that already. They're starting, they're very frustrated. Right. And so the left, you mean the Jacobin types? No, I I think the right, the right. You're starting to see a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, and look, yeah, you saw the meme that said, you know, it, it was like uh, they were boarding up, they were boarding up their uh, their uh, the stores and stuff, and like we're not doing this if the, if the Republicans win, right? And um, you yeah. know, but but you're starting to see some of that. Uh, well, they they don't put a Proud Boys logo when they boarded up; they put a Black Lives Matter logo, right? right. Their, because that's who they're trying to appease. But nobody, but you we're in the midst of this, like uh, I suggested on my Facebook page the other day, maybe we need a propaganda. We talk about tracking apps for coronavirus. Maybe we need a propaganda tracking, tracking app to which one of my friends said, you already have one. It's called mainstream news, (laughs) Uh, which I thought was pretty, pretty brilliant comment. Um, It's like, it's one of those comments when somebody says it's sort of like, boy, that one's so good. I wish I'd thought of it. And so we, but we're, we're being inundated with propaganda now, you know, so they, they have this thing up there for days about that never changes the electoral vote total showing Biden ahead, Biden ahead, Biden ahead, Biden ahead, Biden wins, Biden wins, Biden wins, get over it. There's no, there's no proof. There's no proof. And it's sort of like today. I mean, so the Republicans came out, they have like 200 affidavits of people to show fraud in Pennsylvania. And that, you know, the media guy, so Kelly McInerney, the press secretary goes, there's 200 affidavits and she goes through them. And so what's now, does anybody have a question? And some dweeb steps up and he goes, but you don't have any proof, do you, Kelly? She just talked about it for 25 minutes. And it's like this, we live in two different worlds at this point. Um, and it's, but I'm, you know, part of me thinks like maybe, maybe they set this up so they can cause chaos yeah. in society and to rebuild it from the ashes. So maybe they'll give it to Trump just so that the chaos will happen. Very true. Uh, to assure it. So I, I can't, it's another thing. I, I can't dismiss that as a crazy idea at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, be, I think you need to be ready for anything right now. Right. You know, because it's just, there's, it's just so many crazy things. Like you said, did you expect, and I, I say that every Thursday when I do my devotional for the church, we, you know, when, when 2020 started out, no one had this idea of what was going to be happening, you know? Um, but but uh, we started out at 2020, the very beginning, just really focusing on growing in the Lord 
And, uh, you know, that's, I say that every, every Thursday is like, you know, Hey, did you, did you, did you think that we would be where we are right now um, at the beginning of 2020? But if you've been growing in your relationship with the Lord, you know, you would be at a different place right now. And yeah. um, maybe you would be experiencing, you know, realizing that this stuff is, is, is so real out there. Um, now, I, I was going to say when we were talking a little bit about the preparedness aspect of it, is I think most people realize it. You know, I have a, a, a group that we, we email and every other Tuesday we do an online meetup. And, you know, people can't find canning supplies. And when in March, when things started really heating up, um, you couldn't out here uh, where I live, the stores were completely bare. I mean, bare. And you yeah, I've heard find, that. You couldn't find freezers. In fact, we, we finally found a freezer because my wife was very, was very adamant about getting one. And, um, you know, we, we finally got one, but you could not find a freezer because I think... In people's mind, people realize what's happening, what's going on, and we better be prepared. They're not calling themselves preppers. They just have common sense. Right. At least there's enough of them to wipe out the grocery shelves. Yeah. You know, it's been kind of interesting because I've heard these, uh, my wife's stepfather lives in Southern California, and there are long lines and things are, and but here in the Midwest, I I don't know what it is. I don't know if columbus is some kind of thing they're trying to preserve you understand what i'm saying because other than a few weeks where the meat supply got a little bit sparse at, at times i haven't really and, and of course toilet paper was in short supply and now they put in the limit one at costco now again on toilet paper and kroger and those type of places but things have been Oh, and the only thing I really noticed is was, you know, toilet paper, meat sort of, and flour. Those, those are the things that I had trouble finding for a while. But here, our stores seem to be in pretty good supply. And so, I'm, so it's kind of hard here. Maybe they're trying to bamboozle us here, you know, that they're going to really drop the hammer on us, you know, by everything disappearing. I don't know, you know, it's, um, I think the modern supply chain is sort of a miracle anyway. When I was a kid growing up in Northeast Ohio, I, we had to go through, there was a, they played cartoons for kids while their mother shopped. So, but to get there, you had to go through the vegetable aisle. And I remember in the, in the winter, you know, there'd be like three heads of lettuce and two of them were sort of dripping black goo onto the... <laughs> thing and you know now you go there in the middle of the winter and it's like this cornucopia of fresh fruits and vegetables and organic and not i mean it's 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 unbelievable to me you know and but we need to understand is that could all change very very quickly with a disruption in the supply and because the whole international supply chain as miraculous as it is, is very fragile with this just-in-time stuff. So, you know, I, I think it's just common sense that people would prepare. But we're, we're sort of, we're teetering on this chaos. I just don't know which way it's going to go. <laughs> um, A lot of except my I think chaos is, more chaos is coming. 
I, I think everybody would agree with that. I was laughing. I was laughing at the toilet paper thing because my the, my listeners know. I mean, it's a, it's a big joke, you know, the the toilet uh-huh. paper thing, because uh, you want to have the good stuff, you know, you want to stock up the good stuff. You don't want to <laughs> dealing with the John Wayne toilet paper or, you know, n- none of that. When you when you look at what happened in Venezuela, you know, we're it's single ply stuff that they have at the state parks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. When you look at what happened in Venezuela. One of the things was like toilet paper. Well, first it was like diapers were gone. Then mm-hmm. uh, feminine hygiene products were gone. And then toilet paper was gone. And then after that, everything just, it just really accelerated. Crumbled, so, yeah. Yeah, crumbled. So, okay. So we talked a little bit about the United States. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on. I mean, we've been focusing on the election. I mean, every, all eyes there, but the world, things are still going on over there. What kind of things are you hearing about what's happening in the in the rest of the world? Well, like one of the things is the reaction to the election has been very interesting. So, like I saw that uh, you know the Democrats are tweeting out only four Republican senators, uh, Mitt Romney and Murkowski and Susan Collins, and somebody else have congratulated Joe Biden on his victory. Somebody appropriately said, I thought you said the, there were four Republicans that had congratulated Biden. <laughs> and you name, you name Romney and, and others that really don't really qualify as their rhinos. But, you know, Putin, China, they've been kind of silent on anything about the election. The Iranian mullahs are thrilled to death about what's going on. They love Biden because they figure they're going to get the the Iran deal put back when they're like 12 times above the limits that they agreed to in the, in terms of enrichment stocks of uranium, they're 12 times over what they agreed to in the agreement anyway. And that's how they negotiate. I mean, you got to understand they negotiate a different way in the middle East than we do. So they're, they're happy. Um, I don't think that, as I said, I think that, if Trump is out, I think the normalization process for Israel, they're going to be pragmatic about it, and they're going to try to get more Arab nations on board. And the Arab nations are concerned about the rise of Turkey and the rise of Iran. Who It's such an interesting thing because they have enormous economic problems in, those, in Turkey and Iran, but it doesn't seem to hold them back. And when I see them holding back, I, I'm taken back to Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel says, you know, he's praying and finally the angel gets through and said, you know, when you started praying 21 days ago, I I came to give you a message, but I was, you know, attacked by the prince, the, the demonic power behind Persia. Well, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing these principalities and powers kind of an operation that countries that should collapse are sort of wreaking havoc in a lot of different places. It's especially, look, I talk a lot about Turkey. I will always talk a lot about Turkey just because I remember a conversation I had with Chuck Missler. We're sitting at a, a, in, a past, in a backyard of a pastor's house in Phoenix. And it's just me and Bill Kading at the table with Chuck. And I said, Chuck, are you excited? It was about 2008. He goes, well... Yeah, but I'm really watching Turkey. When I see when I start to see Turkey 
flipping the anti-Israel and stuff, I'm going to get really excited. Well, look at what's happening now. And what Erdogan does and the language that he uses, for example, he was saying the other day, we're not really just the Turkey of several hundred thousand square miles or however many thousands of square miles. We're a much bigger country than that. I mean, he, the guy's got plans. And I think clearly Turkey is a major player in this end time scenario. So that, that's one of the ones that I watch, Iran and Turkey. And then, of course, Israel, too. Um, it's, and you still see the – another thing, too, Todd, that I talk about sort of geopolitically that I don't think a lot of people talk about is I talk about demographics. Uh, we're in a major – we're in a, a huge state of demographic change. United States, we kind of get away with it because we do allow immigration. But I cited the statistic, can't remember what poll it came from, 30% of women 25 and under, 30% identify as gay or bisexual. They're not really interested in men or having a family. If the Lord doesn't return for 50, 100 years, you won't recognize the world that we live in. Europe will be Islamic. I mean, they're already having major problems. Look what's going on in France. So, and, but the Western cultures are dying off, and that's significant. Birth rates, you know, 1.1, 1.2, 1.4. That means in a generation, you've gone down by half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have huge Muslim immigration with a 3.5 or 4.8 birth rate, your society is going to change. Uh, the other thing recently, the, the rise of Africa. I mean, there's a study out, and they said it showed the biggest cities in 20, 2100. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be here in 2100, given my age. That I would be 150 about, but uh, or close to it. But you're talking like five cities in Africa that have 85 to 120 million people in a city. Wow. What they won't all stay there. <laughs> you know, they're they're gonna. Um, so listen, if you think things have changed a lot, they're going to change any, even more if the war doesn't return in the near future. And I think there's some reasons why. I think that um, 2030 to 2032 is kind of a significant time, as I understand Bible prophecy. But, you know, I could be right. I'm not dogmatic about it. The two days, you know, two days um, being 2,000 years from the death and ascension of Christ, resurrection and ascension of Christ, and then a third day of a thousand year millennium, you know, that that two-day thing ends around 2030, 2032. So that's why I think there's all this stuff going on. You also have all the economic things that are happening, microchips, not so much micro, well, microchips to some extent, Bitcoin, electronic currency, these guys at Davos, they don't even hide it anymore, Todd. The Great Reset. They, they have like a whole thing 
planned about it. I, I talked about it on, I found out about it in late March. I did a thing on April 1st in the middle of the week. Everybody wants me to do middle of the week. And I'm like, I would, but you know, it takes a lot of time to put together what I do on Sunday with the graphics and everything that I try to put in. But I did one that week about the, the, um, the Davos um, strategic intelligence world economic forum, strategic intelligence thing where they have this wheel and it's like it, they were working on it late last year, but then it's like rolled out and populated and the links and hyperlinks and this and this and how it, it's unbelievable what the, it, it's clearly built by artificial intelligence. Um, so you have all that going on and they, they just are relentless the way they pursue it and they're talking about it and they're saying this is the op- this is our opportunity to do the great reset and it's it it uh, concerns me yeah i i think you shared out a video um the guy who does sovereign nations or whatever i think that's what it's um yeah i can't remember the guy's name right now he's i'm sure we would disagree on some aspects of our theology and eschatology but and, and maybe his orientation is a little bit different than mine in terms of how we get into this kingdom age. But he's, he's doing a very good analysis of what's going on in the world of culture. Uh, highly recommend it. With, and then you see all this woke, social justice, critical race theory stuff being adopted wholesale in the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of the, uh, I'll try to look up. I, I saw somebody do a Twitter thing. Hang on here. Uh, it was, it was a brilliant thing. It was like, uh, when the, when the guys in the, uh, Southern Baptist and other big evangelical organizations are more left wing than, the social justice warriors, you know, you have a problem. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're at that place now. Well, you said 2030, 2032. I mean, I was hoping it'd be a lot <laughs> earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, um, it, it, it is crazy. The world is crazy. There's so many things, like you said, going, going on and on. Um, and the thing is, is that if there was just one thing, you could pretty much deal with it, you know, and, and maybe absorb it. But like you said before, all these things just add up, you know, they yeah. just combine they, they, the, the word that you always use, the convergence of it. Um, what is well, Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I, I don't know if that was some of the questions you asked me, but these things accelerate as we get closer. They, the convergence happens more quickly i liken it to the vortex of a tornado um you know it's it's like this storm comes up and then boom it's like this really destructive thing and i think that's how the end times work when when jesus was here is for listen jewish eschatology is a pattern so what happened at the time of jesus first coming is a pattern for what will happen at the time of his second coming so what happened was in the last week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week, as we call it, 
about 60% of the messianic prophecies concerning his first coming were fulfilled in that one week. Up until then, you know, you have the prophecies around for a couple thousand years, 400 years, 300 or 450 years, and then boom, Jesus is here. But then the big fulfillment comes right in this compressed area at the end. That's how it's going to be. You're going to see little things kind of coming to pass, coming to pass, coming to pass. And then it's going to be like, boom, all the stuff is going to happen. It's going to make your, if you're, if we're here, it's going to make your head explode because it's going to be happening so quickly. It already seems like that. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. It, it's already making people, you know, I had to talk to somebody um, in my church, just kind of, they were struggling with everything that was going on and just had to, you know, just refocus them a little bit on, on who we are as believers and where our citizenship is and, and, and all of that. And that really helped. But I, I'm thinking if this is this right here that's going on, if this is really upsetting you, imagine what will happen when it really starts picking up. And um, yeah, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be, I don't know, looking for answers in, in, in needing, needing help. And that's where the church needs to be ready to, 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 you know, we're always out there, but we need to be able to have the answers for them. Yeah. Agreed. What, what kinds of things would happen for you right now that would send red flags that would just be like, if you saw it in the news, it would be like, that's it right there. Is there, is there anything that you really truly look for like that? Um, you know, I, I think uh, if I saw some more things happening in the Middle East, particularly uh, serious moves to rebuild a temple on the Temple Mount, or at least a tabernacle on the temperament, that would be kind of a real red flag for me that we're, we're really pretty close. We're really pretty close. Um, it's kind of hard to say. You know, it's funny because I've been around this community for all my life, and I constantly hear people saying, and these are Bible prophecy teachers, I didn't think I would see this happen before the Lord returned. And now we have to understand it might, it might even be more happen before the Lord returns. But I think, you know, some major wars, um, particularly in the Middle East, I, I think there are some precursor wars, just like to like an Ezekiel 38, 39 scenario. I think there are other wars that are coming. Um, but listen, you know, the last year, the rise of Turkey is kind of a thorn in everybody's side. And, and really, the arrogance of this guy. And I'm not saying that Erdogan is the beast or the Antichrist. or He's certainly an Antichrist. But the rise of Turkey and, and their actions have been, it's been pretty amazing. Pretty amazing over the last few, really even the last six months. When the, somebody's when that, been watching it. When that uh, coup happened a couple of years back, I was watching that very closely to see what was going. I mean, I was following it on Twitter as it was happening. Right. It's pretty interesting because Turkey is such a big player, and I know that um, so many people have talked about that in the past. So, you know, um, I, yeah, I would also say some things just like I saw this week, like um, 
um, on one of the sites I follow, they uh, were showing like drone, how they, they have these things for drone swarms, swarms, swarms of drones. And it sort of brings to mind like the, lo- the description of some of the locusts in Revelation and that type of thing. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I mean, and these are small countries that are, are leveraging the technology that's really kind of flattened everything. Um, and so a country like Iran or Turkey can wreak havoc, havoc on a lot of things just because of the technology that they've had, that they have and they've been able to develop. I'm, I'm very concerned about the development of things in Iran. Uh, some of the missile technology that they're rolling out and understand that Iran is very closely related in its missile technology development to North Korea. There's like a pipeline back and forth between them. And then of course, North Korea rolled out some huge, the biggest, if they're operational is the caveat, but if they're operational, they're the largest missiles in the world. This poor country that can't even feed its people is developing this missile technology. And this little Kim Jong, I can never remember, baby Kim, I call him. <laughs> you know, how many times has he died in the last year, uh, according to media reports? And he's still around looking pretty, actually looking better than he has in a while. Yeah. And they're rolling out this technology that is you know, really reeks of the apocalypse, apocalyptic war type war. So this, this is a very significant development. And then the whole technology thing with China and the social media or the social credit score that's being adopted here in the United States by corporations. I mean, these tech companies are, they're, they're not, they, they have great things and great tools that we all love to use, but they're not your friend. Mm-mm. And um, you know the sort of the intrusion on privacy. We talked about this before uh, we started recording. About they, everybody knows where I am, and it, I, I don't know that I could hide. I don't know that I could go dark. Um, and I don't know that the Lord would want me to. Um, you know, when He's done with me, He can have me. This kind of I, I'm really. I also want to say this talk about a lot of really bad stuff, stuff that bothers me and the world falling apart. I had, I've had a strange sense of peace this year about sort of where I'm at. I don't know if it's my life circumstances or whatever, but I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not nervous. Um, you know, I'm trying to focus on taking care of my family and being ready for whatever comes our way. This is not different than what the church has really endured for 2000 years. We've been pretty lucky here in the West. So I think, but so I just think that whatever's happening now, just ramping it up a few notches will be a red flag for me that we're really at that time. I agree. I agree. Well, one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk to you about um, 
you've mentioned that a lot of people send uh, send you visions and things like that, but I, I'm assuming a lot of people send you news articles and things that are important. You've got a lot of eyes out there because of the prophecy update. The mainstream yeah. is pretty much is dead. I, I, I even think there's so many people turning on Fox News lately too, and so I think they're 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 going to be done <laughs> with uh, those on the right as well. Yeah. So what do you What do you look for? Where do you Where do you get information? You know, the alternative news community. Uh, or, you know, help sure. us out. Well, listen. I found in terms of like what's going on in Portland, what's going on in Azerbaijan, what's going on uh, in Syria. I find Twitter to be an incredible news source, even though they're since, so you're not going to get news about the U S election and that type of thing, because they're clamping down on that. Like they're going to, like they're going to suppress things. They think, uh, it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, and so people send me a lot of stuff. Um, I don't have time to look at it all. I kind of pick and choose. I try to do my own research. I subscribe to a number of sites. Listen, I read the New York Times. I read the Washington Post. I read foreign policy. I read foreign affairs. I read the Economist. I read the Financial Times of London. I read the Times of London in the UK. Uh, I also subscribe to a, a press service called Press Display slash Press Reader. That's uh, about thirty bucks a month, and it gets me a replica edition of about. 2,000 newspapers around the world. Uh, I use Google Translate. Um, I have a list of bookmarks of newspapers and stuff that I look at. And so I use Google Translate to get to read the Arabic language stuff. Uh, I read the Jerusalem Post. There's a few people that I follow pretty seriously. Seth Fransman from Jerusalem Post, Jonathan Spire, who writes off and on for them. Carolyn Glick, Melanie Phillips. Um, I like the Spectator group of magazines uh, for a conservative viewpoint. I watch. I watch a little. I don't watch as much TV as some people think. Uh, I will um, sort of. Um, I don't drink, but I think if I did, I would, you know, take a few hard shots of whiskey, uh, very strong whiskey. And turn on MSNBC. That might get me to three minutes of it instead of two, uh, which is kind of my limit. Uh, I just kind of peruse those just another time to see, like, you know, what's the temperature in the fever swamp today? So I, 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 list, I read a lot of stuff that I don't agree with, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't. Because even even the New York Times will report, will report facts. You just have to learn that they're usually at the end of an article. The editorial part is the first part and then at the end. And the New York Times, by the way, the New York Times has a tremendous archive of their magazine of their newspaper before 2000 uh, called the um, Times Machine. If you want to go back and do some historical newspaper research, it's a tremendous resource. So I subscribe to that stuff. Um, and so I, you know, I probably spend 25, 30 hours reading and stuff a week. Uh, I try to read uh, some books occasionally. Um, if I'm reading a book, it's usually going to be someone that I'm 
familiar with or that I am more in line with. I, I, I don't read a lot of that. I, I don't really watch. I don't listen to music much. I don't, listen, I don't watch movies very much. I read a lot. Um, so there, there's tremendous resources out there. There's a lot of information available. As I said last week, there's a lot of information, but not much wisdom available. I do listen to some talk radio. I like Dennis Prager because I think he's a good thinker. Um, so there I kind of tend towards conservative sources. But they, they read a lot of the same stuff that I do. Because uh, I, I want to know what the enemy is doing. So they, they're, they're gracious enough to publish newspapers. So I know exactly what's going on. I, I agree with you. I subscribe to a lot of... Um all different, all different sorts of sources on Twitter to see what everybody is saying. And um, it's yeah. kind of funny to see both sides. Yeah, like this week I was watching uh, a Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post. She's been in, like, meltdown mode ever since the election. You know, and, and now you're seeing, like, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, Jennifer Rubin, we got to name all these people that are involved that have ever supported Trump and given him money, and we got to make a list. What what are they what are they going to do with that list? You know what they're going to do with that list, or what they want to do with that list? Because they they're not very gracious winners, are they? Um, so anyway, I I so I I try to draw from a wide swath of media sources print media especially good a lot of good stuff there if someone wanted to um maybe they're listening and uh they've kind of uh the the bible prophecy thing has kind of uh grabbed them right wanting to learn more it could be um you, you can get online and you can get onto some really wacky websites right um, yeah. Are there some that you recommend or, or some resources out there if people wanted to learn more uh, and, and get a good foundation of Bible prophecy? What would you recommend? Yeah, well, look, um, now understand that uh, some of the people, you know, this timing of the rapture thing seems to be way too divisive to me. So, but, you know, there are pre-trib people that I follow. There are pre-wrath and post-trib people that I follow. Um, and I think one of the great discussions is like, what, what's sort of the relationship between Israel and the church? Is it as subdispensational say it's completely separated for all time, or is it more of a, you know, something that's going to eventually join together? That's my view that it'll eventually join together. So and I know that will turn off a lot of hardcore dispensationalists, but I think that's a very valid discussion for the church to having. So I, I think one of the things that for my own personal study, um, the, the one thing that I think the church has lost is the, the centrality of the Olivet Discourses to end times eschatology, because Paul built, if you look at 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Thessalonians, there's a very high correlation between the subject that Paul talks about 
and what Jesus says in Mark 13 and Luke uh, 21 and, and Matthew 24, because they, that's what the church had was what Jesus said. So, I, um, look, my friend Jacob Prash has written some great books on uh, Shadows of the Beast, The Dilemma of Laodicea, Harpazzo, that sort of bring in the Jewish eschatology part. And I'm not saying I agree with Jacob on everything. I'm just saying is, you know, he's helped me think through some things. I think Chuck Missler has good resources. I think uh, Footsteps of the Messiah by Arnold Fruchtenbaum is a pretty good book, although I think he makes, from my view, he makes a couple of very serious errors, but I think it's still something that people should watch. I'm going to recommend one book uh, that I've been working through, um, not pre-trib, but it's called And Then the End Shall Come by Danny Isom, I-S-O-M. I think it's an excellent book that, that really relates this about the centrality of the all of the discourses to the further unfolding, because Paul and John are not going to give information that's inconsistent with what Jesus said. So it, to me, it's sort of helped formulate how the, the whole thing flows through the New Testament. Um, I think, you know, Missler has a lot of good Bible studies, Dave Hunt. Um, Boy, you know, there, there's a long list out there. Um, I do think somebody, I think Andy Woods wrote a pretty good book on the kingdom. Um, even though there's some things that I would have very strong, not so much in this kingdom book, but some other aspects of what he teaches, I would have a very strong disagreement with. But I thought his kingdom book was really pretty good. Um it actually might have been an update of what uh, Alva McLean had done, The Greatness of the Kingdom. I don't know if that's what he's tried to do, but I think it's pretty good. Uh, there, there's a lot of great resources out there. I, I think you need to read stuff that you're not going to agree with. You know? So, I mean, I go to conferences and there are guys get up and talk, and I'm like, I speak at conferences. So it's with guys that I don't agree with on stuff. But then I also get some tremendous insight from those guys too, even though I don't agree with them on maybe the timing of the rapture or something like that. I, I don't think it's something we should that, – that seems to be too divisive to me. I've brought it up a number of times. It's just – it bugs me. And, but I have my feeling, and I'll argue with anybody. I'm a lawyer. I love to argue. <laughs> um, as I said to somebody, is that people pay me money to argue. <laughs> and honestly, sometimes I would do it for free. Don't tell my clients that. But, uh, but I think that um, – I really think we're at a stage, Todd, where the church needs to be much more unified than it is. We're sort of all divided into factions, and I think the devil's winning when that happens. So I sort of like – you know. I love the rapture as much as the next guy, Israel and uh, coming kingdom. I think premillennialism, that's kind of a dividing line for me. But uh, I also learned from people, I'm like, for example, the guy at Sovereign Nations, I doubt that he's premillennial, but he's got some good information and he's doing some pretty good thinking and he's nailing what's going on in our, in our culture. And one of the one of the things too is that 
I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of books like you were saying, but I remember when I was a kid and I wanted to, uh, I would listen to Christian radio and I wanted to purchase something. I would, I would buy the tapes. Right. And, mm-hmm. and nowadays you've got everything free. You know, those, those pastors, those preachers that would sell their tape series or whatever. Now it's all free online and there's so right. good stuff. Like, like you said, I don't watch TV, but I do get to, uh, I do spend some time on YouTube watching different, uh, you know, prophecy teachers and things like that. And there's a lot of great stuff out there. But uh, I, I would say I, I agree with you on some of the stuff that uh, Jacob Prash has done. Um, I, I really like his books. And uh, when I get time to be able to just to sit down and read, I really like to do those. So. Yeah, they're not they're not easy reads. I mean, they're, they're very, um, I don't want to say dense, but they're, you got to think. You got to you know think, you I mean? got to focus. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not even all the way through a couple of them that I recommended, you know, just because I kind of put them down and go to other things. And then, you know, I have the thing that I do too. So that's, um, so I, I think that um, I, I would just encourage people to kind of broaden your perspective on who you've listened to. I mean, listen, I've, um, I don't. I hate to recommend something because everybody says, "Oh, we agree with everything that they say." No, I don't. So I, I'm not going to recommend it. But, but there's there's little group. I mean, there's like some little groups of post what I would call post trib people, largely post trib, that love Israel and that are really thinking through the scriptures in a pretty deep way. And just stick around, and you'll find us. If somebody wants to email me or message me on Facebook, you can get my email off the church website or messenger me on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and I'll, I'll send you that information. But again, when I recommend somebody, it doesn't mean I endorse everything that they've ever said or will say or have said in the past. But I do think, I mean, I've spent time with some of these people talking to them. They love the Lord. They love Israel. They love the coming of the Lord. And, may disagree on some the way things are, but I think when you really talk to people say, look, I, this is how I think it's going to work out. But, uh, what do I say all the time? The 30 minutes of silence in heaven in revelation. So everybody can update their, all the prophecy teachers can update their charts. <laughs> and I, cause I, I think we're, sometimes I think God has a sense of humor and he sort of throws these, uh, I call them cosmic knuckleballs, prophetic knuckleballs at us. Like, bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? Or bet you thought, well, wait, this happened, and boy, that just completely blows up my chart. But wait a minute. It, it's probably going to make the end times more scenario more likely. So, yeah. Well, and one of the things I always say is um, I don't, wa- don't want to be like, the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of Jesus's time that they had the son of God right in front of them and they missed them, you know? Um, And uh, because they had their idea of what it was supposed to be and um, they just, they missed them. So I don't definitely. Yeah. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Um, The prophets, I'm going to lose the quote here long to see the day that you're living in right now. Mm -hmm. 
And so we should be people of the book too, that should say we can answer that. Yeah. We, we love that we live in the end times. It's, you know, people get stressed out. And I asked the question, well, what did you think the end times were going to be like? Really? <laughs> and God has this and God will protect us, but we need to be working for the glory of God and maybe forget about our own creature comforts, you know? Well, in, in saying that, I got two more, two more questions for you. Sure. And that, uh, this one here, um, kind of goes along with what you were saying there. Can you imagine a world where Christians are outright persecuted and don't experience the rights that we currently have here in America? Can, can you imagine that more easily now? What would you say to that? I, I think that um, I have not experienced it, and probably because of – I don't know that I will, but I have friends that have traveled to places in the Middle East and Africa and Iran and Turkey where that's actually happening now and the church is thriving. My good friend Steve Mitchell, who passed away, he was a missionary in India where radical Hindus he had to leave the country because they tried, they were going to kill him. Hmm. So we actually live in a world where that's actually happening. Now we kind of lose perspective in the West. Um, but people are living in that. I, I probably shouldn't have done it, but I did it on an update because I found the video on the internet and it was a, I won't say the country. It was a group of believers meeting in a Middle Eastern country. Some of them had fled from Syria, you know, because they're going to get drafted into the army. And I, I've heard these stories that Christian guy left Syria. I'm getting drafted into the army and they know I'm a Christian and they will kill me. My own unit will kill me when they have the opportunity mm. because I'm not a Muslim. So here is this church meeting in a little storefront in some Middle Eastern country. And it's, it was so interesting because they had the PowerPoint screen <laughs> and the guys working the computer and the sound system in a place where they're persecuted. And they're worshiping the Lord. And in the window is a neon cross. And I thought, how dangerous is that for them to do that? You understand what I'm saying? That they, they got a neon cross in their window and they know they're going to be persecuted. But they figured whatever we can do for the Lord while we're here. It, it was a, stu a stunning video to me. I don't know what they were singing. I don't know what they were talking about. But these people love the Lord. But it was kind of funny because they're in the middle of, you know, kind of a war zone. And they got the PowerPoint going and all this, and the projector and all this stuff. It was just kind of a bizarre scene. But I keep seeing that neon cross in the window in the background. That's great. These, I, 
these people, they, they lay it all on the line for the Lord. Mm-hmm. We need to be ready to do the same. I agree. I, uh, I remember listening to a, um, a video. I wish, I wish I would have saved it because I can't find it where Corey Ten Boom was talking about when she finally went into to China and, um, the uh, one of the the bishops, one of the elders there, I, I believe, uh, told her, "Hey, look, people told us that we would be raptured before any kind of persecution would mm-hmm. happen, and um, that didn't happen. And so, please tell people to, you know, that persecution will come, and to be able to uh, go through that, you know. And so, I always always remember that. I wish I had that video still, but um, well, there is a video out there that I've used." Um and now I'm trying to remember the name of the organization and the name of the guy. He was in it. He grew up in a Middle Eastern country. I, I assume it was Lebanon, Pakistan, or Syria. And there, there's a thing called the, the um, C5 contextualization movement, where they, they it was a missionary. It's an orientation in missions. It's completely, I think, borderline heretical where they say people can get converted to Christ, but they can still go to mosque and they can still worship in the, as a Muslim. And the guy was talking about that, and he goes, and, and the reason they do that is because they want to protect people from being persecuted. And this guy said, when I came out as a Christian, I lost my family. My family persecuted me. He said, you, you people who are doing this contextualization stuff, just stop it. Just stop sending us missionaries like that. Don't rob us of the joy of suffering for the Lord. Now, as to a Westerner, that's a totally different mindset than we have. And it's not suffering for the Lord because it's going to make me more saved or anything like that. It's, I mean, Peter talks about it. Um, and so we need to be careful. I, we, we work with a group in Malawi. The guys have, in fact, I, I was in church one day and I told the story. I said, I heard about this pastor in Africa. And we had a father-son. The, one, the son had taught first hour. So I'm up there doing my thing. I heard this great story from an African about an African pastor. And he said, you, you churches in America, stop sending us short-term missionary people to come help us dig wells. Stop sending us water trucks. We are dying over here. Send us preachers of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I kind of choked up It's because it really – so I finished, and after I was done – the father, the guy who preached first hour, comes up and he said, I was the guy who said that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, now that's weird because I didn't know that. And But he was right. And, it, and so we need to kind of reorient the way we were thinking about things. We've had a lot of creature. We have creature comforts here right now. Things are could be changing, though, very rapidly. And so where's your hope? Why is it in your stuff or is it in your, in the Lord? Amen. Yeah. 
all your food, all your gear, all that stuff eventually is going to go, right? It's, it's going to fail at some point. But right. Lord, Lord will never fail you. Last question for you. What is one question you always wished you were asked, but you never get asked? Um, you know, I, I saw that on the list. I don't really know that... Uh, Do you ever prepare for like a, a question and they never give it to you? Am I the only one that ever that ever happens to? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I, I was at a panel once. I forget where I was. And somebody asked this question. It would, they were, you know, live streaming it. I don't know where we're, Canada or someplace. And they asked, so they asked me the question. And I, you know what my answer was? I have no idea what the answer to that question is. <laughs> and somebody said, I really appreciate you saying that. I really didn't know what the answer was. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I suppose people could ask me. I really think um, we need to orient ourselves to, you know, what's the most important thing? And that's getting the gospel out there. We're, we're sort of in desperate times. You know, pray for those opportunities. Um, and let me let me just say one more thing. I think that we sometimes try to be too perfect. In fact, sitting here on my desk is a video. I think it's one of the. It's instructive, but it's also heretical. It's a it's a one of these Numa video things by <laughs> Rob Bell yes. called Bullhorn, and in this in this video Rob Bell, and I don't usually trot out the H word, but for him I will. Okay, the heretic word. He mocks the guy who's going out there with a the bullhorn, telling people about the Lord. You need your sinners. You're going to hell. You need to repent. Get saved. He's like, how awful, you know, that's just awful that somebody would do that. I think that we need to understand that none of us is perfect. Our presentations aren't going to, as much as we try, they're not going to be perfect. And God, I've seen people get led to the Lord by the guy with the bullhorn. Mm-hmm. So we need to trust God, that God's able to overcome our meager offerings and use them to his glory. You know, I got a call one time from a lady. Hey, I was a Roman Catholic nun. I watched your prophecy update, and I got saved. I left the Roman Catholic Church, left my convent, and I'm like, what did I even say? And so if I think about that, I think, you know what? Do the best you can and let the Holy Spirit and God do the rest. Because um, he can use a rather uh, not so well-presented sermon or Bible study or teaching to, to get somebody's life turned around.
you know, God, you know, do the best you can and let God take care of it and trust the Lord to take care of it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So I think sometimes we get wrapped up in like, well, you know, I got to do this perfectly. Or I was with uh, Ed Decker. I don't know if you know who Ed Decker is. He, he was a, a Mormon and he has a great apologetics ministry. He's uh, pretty much retired now. He's got to be close to 80. But he's a very wise guy, and he has kind of a wry sense of humor. And we were in Palm Springs where he lives, and we drove past this big church on the way to dinner. He goes, I went to church there last Sunday. He goes, you know, it was fantastic. The lights and everything, and the pastor was just doing fantastic. And then right in the middle of the sermon, the fog machine malfunctioned and kind of ruined the whole moment. <laughs> and his point was, you don't need all that stuff to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. Look at what I had a, like a second grandfather to me who was a missionary in Africa, Central Africa. And the way the people worship there, you know, wouldn't pass muster in America. But then in that country, probably the most heavily evangelized country on the planet, uh, Central Africa, now it's in meltdown because you know why? I think the church lost its way there. They got to try to get a little bit too slick. So anyway, so I just think that let God do the work. You do, you do the best you can, and God's perfectly capable of using whatever to his glory. Amen. Amen on that. John, where can people find you if they want to uh, follow what you're doing? Well, I'm on Facebook under my name. I also, uh, John Haller 54 on Twitter. I think I have the same handle on parlor. I haven't, don't post too much there. I haven't been able to figure that one out yet. <laughs> I think I've also got an account on me. We, I, you know, I can't have too many social media accounts and, um, Facebook is frustrating for a lot of people. They're trying to drive us away, so I'm trying to hang in there. Uh, Fellowship Bible Chapel on YouTube. Uh, also, some of the stuff I do is being posted at Remnant Truth Network, rtntv.org. So just Google my name. We, did, we didn't even talk about that, though. Um, the reason y'all are doing that is because you, at some point... Yeah, and we were wrapping up, so I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> I'll just jump this no one. Problem. But uh, the reason y'all are doing this is because uh, we're doing the Remnant uh, News uh, TV. Remnant Truth. Remnant Truth Network. Remnant Truth, sorry. Um, is because y'all feel at some point you might not be able to post your videos on YouTube. Right? Yeah, really right now it's pretty clear to me that, um, especially in the last month or so, that – uh, we're getting shadow banned on YouTube. Um, people have trouble finding me. Uh, they, they'll Google my name and Fellowship Bible Chapel, and it just won't show up. It's there. I would bookmark the Fellowship Bible Chapel YouTube page, and then you can go to it. But, look, I, I think it's probably inevitable that we're going to be shadow banned. Uh, I to be honest with you, I'm surprised that uh, some of my stuff is uh, is still there. Although people have told me some of my older 
things have been removed from YouTube. Um, things that they have watched in the past. So I don't know. I, I don't keep track of it. We also have a, we're on Vimeo live stream under Fellowship Bible Chapel. So we have a number of outlets, but I think, you know, we're, I think Christians need to try to put up these alternative networks. I mean, I don't know, you know, I've, I've suggested maybe we need to have like a dark web for the Christians <laughs> to communicate. Um, the church thrived under the persecution of many empires in the past. So I think God will use it. Maybe it'll be good for the church. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Um, the social media, I just, I have, I have parlor. I just don't have time to get into another social media, but um, I did create a, um, like a membership email group. I don't know if you remember the old like Yahoo groups and e-group sure. and um, where you can send to one email and it goes to everybody and people can, can talk in, um, you know, through email. What I found is people don't want it, it's very hard for them to leave Facebook because Facebook has made it so easy and you have right. the app and all you have it is, I mean, it's really nice and, and easy to use. And so they want something like that. And so that's why I went with this email group because it's easy to manage on your phone. So, right. But it's a way for us to be able to communicate um, if all those things have gone down. And recently, you know, during the election, there was a lot of uh, high profile prepper, uh, pages and groups and, and, and people that are in the preparedness community who just got their, their pages completely wiped out. And um, that, yeah, like you said, it'll just continue to happen. Yeah. And so, like I said, I, I, I'm surprised sometimes. Uh, and it doesn't mean I'm, maybe I'm not doing enough <laughs> that I'm still there, you know, that, um, but there is a way to be kind of clever to work around the algorithms a little bit. You know, it's like if you post something on Facebook, put put the the link in the first comment. Say, hey, you know, you need to check out what's in the first comment, and not be too in there. Don't be in their face about it. Yeah, and I think you can get by. But but look, I know people <coughs> who write good friends. She writes great articles, and she just got notified by Facebook. You can never post in a group again on Facebook. Ever. Oh. Wow. And she's been on Facebook for 10, you know, for years. And it's just like, they're, they're ruthless. They'll just wipe you out. And so eventually they'll get us. But listen, the Twitter and, fa and Facebook interfaces are really superior to these other alternative platforms, at least right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're worth billions of dollars, the guys that started them. Yeah. A little fascist. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I appreciate you spending all this time with me, man, sure. and, and with all the, the listeners. And um, just, again, thank you so much for yeah. everything that feel, you do. Um, feel free to edit out whatever you think. Uh, cut it down. So no, I have a tendency to ramble a little bit. No, you know, it's, it's good. People want, to, people want to hear. You know, it's, we've had this great uh, – just talk conversation. And uh, so it's been really good. Any last, anything else that you want to say as we, as we close out? You know, I would say what uh, Jesus told the disciples, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, 
because your redemption draweth nigh. And I, I do think we're, look, I will, I will be surprised if this thing, if the Lord doesn't return fairly soon, but I will also not be surprised if he doesn't. How about that? <laughs> How's that for an ambiguity thing? But <laughs> I, look, I don't know when he's going to do it. In his time, it'll be perfect. Um, his time, you know, is not my time necessarily. But geez, yeah, we really need to focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Uh, because I think that's what will really sustain us during this, these coming days. Amen. Good word. Thanks, John. Thanks for being Thank here. You. Thanks, Todd. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode with John Haller. I want to send another shout out, another thanks to John for spending so much time. You know, you you heard the two-hour interview there. I think it's a little bit longer than two hours. Um, we actually talked for a lot longer than that. And so a lot of good information, just a really great guy, someone who wants to get the information out there and, uh, and, share, and share Jesus. So if you are interested in learning more about uh, Fellowship Bible Chapel and the prophecy updates, John does a, a live update on YouTube every Sunday. And uh, they also, you know, of course, the recorded version stays up there. He shares it out in different places. And so uh, it's very worth listening to it. A lot of the times I'm listening to it while I'm doing other things, cooking. I, I don't necessarily watch the, the, the YouTube video. I'm listening to it. And, uh, you know, you might even want to go back and check out some of the older ones. Maybe go back a month and uh, get caught up on some of the current events and things that are going on. So uh, I'm going to have that link for you in the show notes. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 668. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app or head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to prepperwebsite.com where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 hand-picked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.